we will be looking at Zephaniah and Haggai. Zephah who? Yeah, Zephaniah and Haggai. Zephaniah. You're like, I don't even know where that's at. Is that, are you making up those books, Josh? No, I'm not. They're actually in there. They're in the Bible, yes. Zephaniah. If you've gone to Matthew, you're too far. Just kind of kick back a few more pages to the left and you'll find it. Just keep kind of paging through. It's in the Minor Prophet area. Remember we looked at Habakkuk and Nahum last week. Do you remember that? Habakkuk, the man who climbed into the tower. Do you remember that? The man who sought God. He had a conversation with God. Zephaniah. This is not a fun book. No. Oh. Yeah, it's really not. Um, Haggai is a lot more fun. And so we'll kind of get a, a balanced dose tonight. But I don't know if you've recognized, but God's word gives the bad news and the good news, huh? Always. It never beats around the bush. It just tells you straight up what's supposed to be happening, what's not supposed to be happening. And isn't it interesting that all the heroes of the Bible, it tells their bad side and their dark side as well as their good side, huh? Just tells it. You're like, man, I wish I could be in the Bible. Really? Yeah, man, I wish God would have written about me. Are you sure? Maybe he would have talked about all of your sin. Exposed who you were when no one was looking. But then showed that he could do a great work in even a sinner like you. That's the story of the Bible, isn't it? A bunch of sinners saved by grace. We got nothing to offer God. Nothing. You come into a partnership or a relationship with God, what do you have to offer? It's like walking up to Bill Gates, right? $70 billion man. $70 billion. That's a lot of money. He's like, yeah, let's go into business together. You're like, um, well, I got some chapstick. Uh, I got some lint and uh, a couple pennies. He's like, all right, deal. Business partner. Come on, let's do it. I'll take care of it. Isn't that how it is with God? What do you really have to bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. You are nothing without God. Do you realize that? You will never be anything without God. For the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but we will bless the name of the Lord forever. And so, Father, we come to you tonight as we get to look into your, your book, a book that has more than all the money in the world in it, more treasure, more wisdom, more knowledge than any man could ever pay for. You give it to us freely. Any man who chooses to come and drink of this and eat of this word will be blessed and will be wise. It makes wise the simple. It's more to be desired than yea than gold, yea than much fine gold. It's sweeter also than honey on the honeycomb. And your servant is warned by this book and recognizes that in keeping the commands there is great reward in it. And so, Father, we come here tonight asking that you would bless this time as we open your word, that we would walk away convicted, encouraged, and changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Zephaniah. Zephaniah.
I'm not going to spend too much on the history of what's going on. I wish I could. I can't wait for the day when I actually get to just dive into these books and really break them down. I'm sure it'll happen eventually, but it'll probably be like 20 years worth of teaching if I did that. If I broke down each chapter, it would take me about 20 years uh, to teach every single chapter, about 21 years to be exact. Um, But I'm not doing that. I'm going to teach through the Bible in three years um, because I'm teaching every seventh chapter and I'm trying to just cover the books and cover the things that we're looking at. Um, And over 21 years, I'll end up teaching through the Bible seven times. It's pretty good, huh? Seven times. If I just keep consistent. This man, Zephaniah, he is a minor prophet. And remember, the minor prophets are called that because why? It's just a short book. The simple reason that they have short books. No other reason. It's not because um, they were short. Um, They didn't minor in any degree or anything like that. No. They had a short book. That's it. Zephaniah, his name means Yahweh hides. Yahweh hides. Mm. The name of God, Yahweh. You know, the name of God is not really ever supposed to be pronounced the real name of God. And when it's looked upon or seen, the eyes is to be covered and self is to be examined. That's what the Jews do every single time they come across the name of God. Hashem. Um, but this name, this is what they call God, is Hashem. But the, the, the way to pronounce God's name is spelt Y-H-W-H. Um, how do you pronounce that? Y-H-W-H. Um, you, uh, you can't. And that's the whole point. It's God's name so holy. And so what did they do? They took Y-H-W-H and put a couple vowels in there and we get the word Yahweh. Yes. And um, Yahweh hides. Interesting name, huh? A lot of times we'll see the names of the prophets parallel with what they were preaching to the nation in that day. And we semi-see that here in this book. Zephaniah is a man who preaches judgment. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Judgment isn't always fun, is it? But judgment is needed, and it has to happen, for God is just and righteous and holy. And if God did not judge those who did wrong, He would not be a good God, would He? He would not be righteous and holy. He would not be just at all. It would be like a judge who does not serve justice. We'd be ticked at Him, huh? What's with this guy? He lets people slide by. He doesn't take care of No, no, God has to judge the wicked because he is just and holy. And he does that in this book. And this name, Yahweh Hides, um, is interesting because it is almost something that is, God hides his face from sin and wickedness. He does not shun it. Uh, He sees it, but no sin is to be before his face. And um, we know that God will hide his face from a nation when they turn They're back on God. God says, my ear isn't dull that I can't hear you. And my hand's not short that I can't reach you in Isaiah. He says, it's your sin. It's you and it's your sin that's stopping this from happening, our relationship. So God is, I believe, 
not only being just and holy, but I like to look at judgment sometimes as corrective surgery. His surgery isn't easy, is it? But it's what's needed. Judgment is what is needed many times in a nation in order for repentance to come. We don't necessarily see that here in this book, but what we do see is justice being served. And we see a God that is not preached very often in our time. We're just going to look at Zephaniah chapter 3, okay? We'll just cover one chapter. You're like, yes, I know you. Zephaniah, he, he's, he's walking around as a prophet in this nation during the time of Manasseh. Who's Manasseh? One of the wicked, most wicked kings ever. Manasseh helped the people to worship the god Baal. And he even allowed sorcery to take place, things of the occult, mediums, people trying to tell your future and do all that kinds of stuff. He allowed it all over the place. And he was like, yeah, man, go for it. Manasseh was wicked. He turned the people to wickedness. He had a son whose name was Ammon. And he took the throne at 22 years old. 22. Some of you are 22 or not even there. I'm a little past that. Yeah, dang it. No, it's okay. But 22 years old, he takes the kingdom. Two years later, the people get ticked off at him, and they overthrow him, and they take him down, and they put Josiah as king. Josiah. And Josiah was a good king. Yes, he was. He turned the people to God and helped them walk in the ways of the Lord. Yet there was still some things. There was problems in the kingdom. I mean, these people were offering sacrifices and doing things under the world, yet their morality, their hearts were far from God. Kind of sounds like the church today. Church of Jesus Christ today. Hey, many do the ritual. Many go to church, but very few live it. Today, a homeless man approached me. His name was Greg. Yep. And he said to me, hey, man, can you uh, help me out with some money? You know, well, what do you need it for? Well, you know, he just starts to go on this ramble. It was obvious his brain had been fried. He would start to chime in and say some things and then like just zone out. He'd be like, yeah, well, you know, I was working construction and I used to do this. And then we went over there and it kind of happened that way. And, you know, I don't really know why, but, you know, it's just, it's amazing what happened. Like, okay, okay. So I'd ask him a few more questions and just trying to dig. And, you know, I just don't give money to any homeless guy. It ain't going to happen. And so I, I asked him when he's going to be off the street. When are you going to be off the street? Well, so he's going to Keeps talking and rambling about who knows what. He would chime in here and there and, and kind of say some things. And I would try to pull from it. <laughs> and then it got down to it. And I'm just like, I'm not giving this guy any cash. Bottom line. I mean, I'm not going to help him stay here on the street. Not going to do it. So I looked at him. I said, Greg, hey, Greg, it's obvious that you don't have a plan. You don't even know when you're going to be off the street. You said 18 months or something like that. But uh, you have no plan. You don't desire to be off the street. Um, You're kind of just walking around here. You've been on the street for four years, he told me. And um, I'm telling you that 20 years from now, you're going to be in the exact same place on the street asking for money. And it's not going to be for me. 
because I'm not going to give it to you and help you be on the street for the next 20 years. He's like, and he had said something about church uh, while he was mumbling. He kind of referenced to it. And, um, and I said, Greg, you brought up church earlier. Why don't you know I'm a Christian, man? And uh, Jesus is the only thing that's going to set you free from any of this. And when you continue on in this direction, um, you're going to destroy yourself. But Jesus will set you free. And the reason why it hasn't worked for you when you've gone through a church is because you do not submit to their authority. You do not keep to their commands and the things they tell you to do. You want to do your own thing and you want to live your own life. You want to do that, you're going to destroy yourself. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I believe in Jesus and all this. And like, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because if you believed in Jesus, you would not be living this way. You would not be walking this way. So in John, it says, you, conf- uh, you confess with your mouth that you know him, but you walk in darkness. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. He's like, oh, you know, he kind of steps back. And I'm like, listen, there's lots of Christians running around or people saying they're Christian, but they don't live according to God's word. James says your faith without works is dead. You don't even have faith. Show me your works and I'll see whether or not you have faith. And so he's taken back and he's kind of just like sitting there. He doesn't know what to say anymore. And so he said, wow, you know, I, you know, thanks a lot, you know, for, you know, saying that with me. And it kind of rambles a little bit. And then um, he comes back and he does end up saying at the end, uh, no one really ever says that kind of stuff to me. It seems like you really care. I said, I shook his hand and he tried to pull it away and I grabbed it and held him there. I said, Greg, that's because I do. I'm not going to give you money like everybody else does. You know what I mean? The brothers are going to pray for you right now. So we laid hands on him and I prayed for him and I preached the gospel in the prayer. And uh, as he opened the eyes, one of the brothers who wasn't in the conversation the whole time, didn't know I was going to give him cash, walks up with a bag of change and just lays it on him and says, hey, God bless you, man. And he walked away, blown away. Saying all that to say that there are many people walking around in this day saying they know Jesus. The devil knows Jesus. The demons know Jesus. The wicked know who Jesus is. All of creation knows who he is. That doesn't mean anything. Why believe in him? What does that mean? You believe that he walked the earth one day? All historians believe that. You believe he lived in Israel? Wow. It's not impressive. I want to know if you believe that he is the Lord of your life. He is the master over you. You submit to his authority and his will. That's what being a Christian is. And if you don't do that, don't call yourself a Christian. Because you're not. And this nation was doing all of the outward things, saying that they were Christians, saying that they followed God, yet they did not do it. There are many nations in this day doing it. Zephaniah, even though this nation with Josiah reigning over was kind of moving in the direction of God, they needed a little more of a taste of the wrath and the discipline of God. And so let's look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Is this man a prophet coming to the nation speaking out? Look what he says. Woe to her that is filthy, Verse 1, woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not the correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Did you see that? There's a couple things listed, huh? This is how you know if you're, not, if you're in trouble with God. Here it is. You obey not his voice. 
When someone corrects you, you don't receive it, and you do not trust in your Lord, and you drew, do not draw near to God. It's pretty, pretty blunt, huh? Just says it straight up. If God has spoken to you to do something and you're not obeying Him, He's talking to you right now. Obey me. Then it says you receive not the correction. I just corrected you, and I'm wondering whether or not you will receive it tonight. Number three, you trust not in the Lord. You lean on your own understanding. You do not in all of your ways acknowledge Him. You acknowledge yourself and wonder how you're going to get through the situation. And it says that she drew not to her God. One of the greatest worship songs I heard a long time ago says, draw me near to you, my God. I long to be right by your side. I love those words. A man who loves God will be drawing near to God all the days of his life. A woman who loves God will seek her God every day. Isn't that it? Drawing near, huh? Drawing, isn't that what you have to do? You, you, you have to draw near to God. You got to draw away from your life and draw near to God. That's what quiet time is. Drawing near to God. Sometimes you have to make that happen, huh? You got to set aside that time. You got to put it in your schedule. It needs to become a habit. The psalmist rose three times in morning, noon, and at evening to spend time with God. Daniel did the same thing. Do you remember? Jesus retreated away often to spend time with his father. Hmm. I love that. When I lived with my buddy Christian in Israel, he would always tell me that. I tried to get him to stay up late. He'd be like, no. I got an appointment in the morning. And he would live that out day after day. I just loved it. I'm always wanting to party and hang out. He's like, man. And he would. He'd be faithfully up. Me and Nolan, my buddy Nolan Morgan, who was also with me in Israel, he, we'd be in there sleeping, and we'd look every single morning, there's Christian's sleeping bag empty. He's off walking with the Lord, talking with the Lord, singing to him. If you got outside, you know, and I'd get up, get the sleep out of my eye, you know. It's, he's up at like 5 o'clock, and I'm getting up like 7. I'm like, okay. You know, running around trying to find my Bible, and I'd start walking, and all of a sudden I'd just walk up on him. I'd hear him chanting to the Lord out there. I love that. Drawing near to God. That's what Christians are supposed to do. But not this city. Look at verse 3. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bone till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Wow. Wickedness, huh? Her princes, the leaders of the nation, they're all in it for themselves. Her judges, they don't judge correctly. The prophets... They're even treacherous persons, it says. The people are supposed to be godly, the prophets of their city. And then it says, even the priests have polluted the sanctuary. Sounds like our day, huh? A bunch of people claiming they know God. Priests, pastors, bishops of all kind. Getting into these sexual situations in their churches. What is 
man, I almost cussed. What's going on here? I mean, this is ridiculous. In the sanctuary, in the very place of God, we see wicked, vile things happening. I can't believe it. It's happening in our day. I'm not saying that it can't happen to me. I'm saying I'm going to clean to God all the days of my life and say, God, please never let that happen. Please keep me close to you. Keep me pursuing you. Take heed lest you fall. But you see it everywhere. You see it all the time. You see many pastors in it for themselves. They preach for money. They don't preach because they love people. They want more money so they can buy that jet. They can buy, give some more money and God's going to bless you. Where is that found in the Bible? Yeah, keep giving, keep giving. We'll send you a handkerchief and you'll be healed of everything. It's like, where does that come from? Pastors bringing women into their office to counsel by themselves. What are they thinking? They don't love their wives? Should never happen. It's a sad day in the priests of America. It's a sad day for the pastors of America. But very few are prospering in the ways of the Lord. Many are falling. And the world looks and mocks you hypocrites. Yeah, you do your God thing over there. That doesn't even work for you. You think it's going to work for me? Oh, but there are some men who love God with all their heart. Some men like a man that I love, his name is John Corson, who up there at his church, yes, the, I can't remember who it was, somebody in the state, some of the heads there wrote him a letter wanting to thank him for the drug rehab program he had at his church because so many people had been set free from drugs and alcohol and they were saying thank you. He writes a letter back, we have no drug or alcohol program up here, we just got Jesus. That's right. Loves God. People see it and are blown away. But hey, in this day, it was polluted. The sanctuary. They're doing wicked things. Verse 5. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I've cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste. That none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed so that there is no man. There is none inhabited. I said, surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction. So their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punish them. But they rose early and corrupted all their doings. God says, man, if you read the last two chapters and you see what he's going to do, there's an exhortation to repentance. Man, it is awesome. But God's just like, if you don't repent, I'm just going to trash your city. I'm going to kill all the wicked. I'm going to wipe this place off the face of the earth. I mean, God is so strict about sin. And we need to be serious about sin. You know, there's a period in my, t- in my life where I felt like I wasn't very serious about sin, about the repercussions and the things that I was doing deep inside. I kind of just like, well, you know, God's forgiven me, you know, and he keeps blessing me and he keeps using me. So I think everything's going to be okay. Careful. Sin will jack you up. And it will catch up to you. If you are in sin today, you are in great danger. For the most high God is, yes, looking down on you and saying, son, what are you doing? My son died for that. What are you doing? 
going into these things, falling into this stuff. Don't you know that I will discipline you? Don't you know that I will allow you to get caught like David? Do you think you're greater than David? Do you think you're greater than Moses? Do you think you're greater than Noah? I let all of these men get caught so that they would cling to me even more. God's speaking loud and clear to His church and loud and clear to His nation and His people to repent of their sins and to turn to Him and to start walking with Him. And if you've come here tonight and you have the opportunity to repent, then do it. What are you waiting for? You girls the same. A secret life doesn't work. God sees. There is no secrets. He looks into the depths of your soul. He knows where you're at. No man can hide from God. If I go into heaven, he's there, of course. If, even if I go to hell, he's there. The psalmist is very clear about that. No matter where I make my bed, God is there. No man will be able to run from God. Is there anyone in here who can run fast enough? Anyone you can run from God? Do you think you can hide from Him? And so in this moment, I, I hope that reality would hit you and recognize you're not going to run from Him and you're not going to hide from Him. He's going to catch you. It's up to you to recognize God gives you warnings like tonight. I'm warning you. I get to be the prophet in your life tonight. I get to tell you, nation, if you do not repent, destruction will come. Everything will be ruined. But listen to this. Listen to verse 8. God wants to do this in your life. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation. Even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be destroyed with the fire of my jealousy. Look at this, man. God is this. No joke. For then I will turn to the people a pure language that they may call on my name, the name of the Lord, to serve him with one consent God says I'll bring all of the nations together I'll bring all the people together and I will pour out my wrath upon them boom so that the whole nation so that all people fall on their face and see who I am and then they will all worship me in one accord will God be worshipped do you think that his creation can look him in the face and say we're not going to worship you God all will bow the knee to God You're like, well, I don't want to bow right now. Well, you don't have to. But let me just say this. You can either bow the knee now. Judgment day. Because you will bow to God. You can bow willingly now. Say, God, I give you my life and I submit to you. Because your ways are perfect and right. And you desire nothing but good for my life. You sent your own son to die for me to prove that. That you love me. That you care for me. And when you submit yourself to Him, He will give you life. You repent of your lifestyle. You believe Jesus is Lord. Or, you can run in your own direction all the days of your life, and when you get to heaven, you stand before God, He will look you in the face, and you will bow. 
you will fall on your face de- as a dead man. Who can stand in the face of God? No one. You know how big this universe is? How big God is? You see, we live in this... Well, look, Southern California is pretty big, huh? A lot of people. And the nation of America is pretty big. It's still not that big compared to the whole earth. But when you look at the earth, I mean, we are not even a speck on the earth. I mean, we're not even a a dust mite on the earth. But you know, the earth... And the universe is not even a dust mite to the span of it. The solar system, the sun, Mercury, Enus, Venus, Earth, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, right? You know, this fits into a galaxy. And the galaxy is called what? The Milky Way. And you know, the galaxy has... Millions and billions of stars. Listen to this. The galaxy is just one of possibly 200 million galaxies in the universe. And God says that he holds all of this in his hand. And when this little dust mite stands, I mean, it is so small that the... Pr- to stand before the living God and to look him in the face. I mean, it's like, you, it's amazing how people mock God and laugh at him and say things it's like, are you, you're, you're so lucky that he doesn't strike, I mean, kill you right now. I'm so thankful that God, I mean, I'm so small and I'm so worthless and it's, it, it really, I don't cost much. He's got so many other things in the universe to worry about. I mean, if he just heard me over there just one time, he's like, yeah, that Josh Thompson guy, you know, he said something against my name. Yeah, just kill him. You know, just like, just, you know, and actually because he said something, why don't you just flick that little, that little, what's that, what's that name called again? Oh, Earth? Yeah, yeah. Let's just, let's just wipe that planet out. Just, we don't need it anyways. I mean, there's so many in the universe. But God is gracious to us for some reason. And his wrath will pour from heaven upon people so that they might bow and repent and turn to him. And that's exactly what is spoken about here. He will do what it takes in order for people to recognize who he is. Look at verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my disperse, shall bring mine offering In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me, for then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. And thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. He says he'll take the prideful out. Interesting that he targets those ones, huh? The prideful. Verse 12, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not, shall not do iniquity, 
nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And so, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away thy judgments. He has cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, and to Zion, let not thy hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will, yes, he will joy over thee with singing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflicted thee, and I will save her that haileth, and gather her that was driven out. Sorry, halteth and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. That time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. This is talking about the restoration of Israel. And that's the sweet thing about God. I mean, the point is clear. That ultimate judgment will come for those who do not seek God. But those who choose to repent of their ways and turn to Him, He will make restoration. Isn't that amazing? He will take your wicked ways and turn them for good somehow. There are so many brothers and so many men, so many women even that I know, that hey, were on the wrong path, going in the wrong direction, and God turned them completely around, set them free, did great, and has done great things in their life. You don't even know who they used to be or what they were. Um, I think of a, a, a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, who, well, the, the things that he's told me just almost don't even line up and don't even make sense, I mean, of who he used to be. And he tells me, it's like, not you, man, there's no way. He's like, no, you have no clue. Um, he's been set free from so much. And God has delivered him and given him such a great life. But it's true. You know, that's exactly what does happen when you come to God. He restores all the years that the locusts have eaten away. huh? But see, the problem is, is people don't want to repent. And so many times people think that instead of repenting and turning to God, I got to dig the hole a little deeper and then maybe I can get out. A lot of times the sin that we're involved in and the things that have happened in our lives that we don't like Instead of just repenting and turning to God, what do we do? We try to fix it ourselves. We lie about it. We act like we didn't know. We try to cover it up. God's saying, repent to me. Maybe you've been there. Where you've allowed all kinds of things to come and sneak in. Maybe you're in that place tonight. You need to confess. You should just be honest with someone. And you should be honest before God. Because if you don't, there can be no restoration. There will be no restoration in your life. What's the formula for Christianity? You seek God. Then, guess what happens? You sin. And then what do you do? Repent. And then what does God do? He restores you. 
And that is the story of the Christian life. You keep repenting back to God every single day, all the days of your life. That's what you're called to do. Isn't that the picture of Israel in the Old Testament? He sets them free. They walk away. They murmur and complain. And then he does what? Puts them back into slavery and sets them free again. As they cry out to him and repent, he does it all over again, over and over and over because they don't learn. But it's a great picture of who we are and what we do. And so if you know this, don't let your life of Christianity be a roller coaster. It doesn't have to be. It can be a steady climb. You get to a point in your life where you just say, you know what? I sinned again. I'm repenting again. And I'm going to keep seeking God all the days of my life. I'm not going to try and beat around the bush. I'm not going to try and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be honest and open. I got to be honest and open this last weekend, and it was a blessing. Freedom. That's what happens. Confess your sins one to another that you may be what? Healed. 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 You want to be healed of something? Confess. I can't confess. Okay, then keep digging the hole. There will be no restoration for you. That is the bottom line. God wants a broken and contrite heart, doesn't he? He wants a spirit that's turned towards him. A heart that is broken before him. And we see that slightly here in the next book. We see a nation in Haggai's day that is set free from slavery. They've been set free and guess what happened? Only two chapters. They're short ones too. Don't worry. Don't worry. 38 verses. Can you do it, family? You guys got this? Haggai, his name means what? Festive. Festive. Interesting. What had happened is Israel gets set free from their slavery, their bondage. And uh, you know what they're commanded to do? To rebuild the temple. When you guys get home, you are to rebuild the temple. But Dave, just like I tell you tonight, when you get home, you are to spend time with God. What do you do? Get home and start doing some of your own things. Start doing the things that you need to do, and God will be the last thing that you get to at the end of the night. That's how it always is, huh? God always seems to be last in our lives a lot of times. That's what happened with Israel. They were told to go home, rebuild the temple. Guess how long they took to rebuild, start rebuilding? 60 years. <laughs> 60 years. What, have I told, what if God told you to do something? Would it take you 60 years? You know what they did? They're told to go home, rebuild the temple, and this is what happens. They go home and they start building, guess whose temple? Their own. They start building their houses. They start, they bring in the interior designer, you know, and they start, you know, furnishing everything, making sure their house is all good and together. And then Haggai, the prophet, rises up and says, what is wrong with you people? You built your house and you haven't even touched God's. And that seems to be the life of, of a Christian many times as well. Everything in your life, everything that you want to do happens, but everything for God is kind of like, that's, you know, it's on the back burner. Sounds like the average Christian. We should do a, a, that's what we should do. 
Yeah, we should do a TV show called Average Christian. Not Average Joe, Average Christian, right? And we just go around and, and, and filming anyone who claims to be a Christian. Like, are you a Christian? Oh, okay, yeah, let's follow them around. Average Christian, here we go. Watch how they live life. They live the American dream, right? They go to school. They get their job. They make their money. They buy their house. They get married. They have their family. Their kids move out. They get married. They retire. And then they die. And their relationship with God was going to church on Sunday, going sometimes on Wednesday, and uh, praying at meals. And that's their walk with God. That's the average Joe life, huh? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. You know, that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to build his temple first. Did you hear that, family? God's temple must be built first in your life. God's temple must be built here on this earth before I get to do what I want to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then your house will be added unto you. It's true. This is a fascinating book. It's going to be fun. You ready? Haggai, festive, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of uh, Josedek, the high priest. He was who? He was the high priest. The word of the Lord's coming to him. Thus speak the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lies waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Some of your translations say a pocket with holes in it, huh? Isn't that awesome? So Haggai walks up and says, hey, Joseph Deck, whatever his name is, the high priest, hey, the people have built their own, have done their own, but have laid the Lord's house to waste. What's going on here? And then he starts to list things that are going on in their lives. Interesting. Let's take a look at him again. I just kind of want to break that down. He says, consider your ways. Let's consider our ways tonight, huh? Can we consider our ways? Consider your ways. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You work hard, but you don't have any money. You eat, but you have not enough. 
You eat your food every single day, but you're just not satisfied. You drink your cream soda, and you're just not satisfied. Your latte, your monster, whatever you drink, you're just not filled. You even buy clothes. But I like translating it this way. Your hearts are not warm. You're not warm. You buy stuff. You feel good the day you buy it, but then you're just not warm afterwards, huh? You earn wages to put it into a pocket that has holes in it. You want to know why? He's about to tell us why. He's about to drop the bomb. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, he says it. Man, you've got to circle that. Anytime you see God saying something over and over, Bible students, you want to circle that. You want to see what is, I mean, God's really, if he says something tri- twice, I think he's trying to say something. God does not need to say something twice, okay? When God speaks, it's God speaking. It's plenty. He says it again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. So he references to the fact that God's house and temple is not being built. That's why all these things are happening. You want to know why all these things aren't added to you in your life? It's probably because you're not seeking first the kingdom of heaven in your life. Now, what does that mean, Josh? It's like this phrase that's thrown around all the time. It doesn't really make sense. Seek first the kingdom. What is the kingdom? And where is it? (laughs) It's one of my favorite phrases. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. It is near. It is now. It is nigh. It is in you. It is around you. The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is like a, a man who finds a treasure in his field treasure in a field and he sells everything he has to buy the field so that he can have that treasure that's the kingdom of god what is it i believe it is this kingdom that we are taking ground for here on this earth and we're giving up everything of our lives to bring people into that kingdom and to take territory for that kingdom where righteousness and good outweighs the evil here in our society where the kingdom of god is furthered Seek first the kingdom in your life. I want to break this down practically. What does it mean to build God's temple in your life? What do you do? Mark, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? You work, you go to school, you work, work. Mark works. And so the kingdom of God for him is going to be taking territory in his workplace. Trying to minister to those people. And Mark has been. He's told me some great stories tried to invite a bunch of his, a bunch of people out to Harvest Crusade. Been trying to minister and set an example and be a light there. Praise God for that. You got to be seeking first the kingdom in wherever you're at, whatever situation you're at. What do you do? What do you do? You go to school? Do you work? No, I don't do any of that. I'm, I'm at home with my family. It looks like your family is the territory, huh? Looks like you need to be. Well, what about my friends? That's right, your friends too. I've been put on this earth. Not to make money. And if I do make money, it's going to be for the kingdom of God. 
I've been put on this earth not to have a family. If I do have a family, we're going to glorify God. I've been put on this earth not to get a bunch of, be successful so everybody can look at me and say, wow, you accomplished a lot in life. No. If I'm successful, I'm giving all glory and praise and honor to Jesus Christ, my King. For He's the one who's given it to me. Seeking first the kingdom of God is changing your perspective in life. You've got to stop thinking that everything in this earth and everything that you're doing is for you. And you've got to start thinking that everything that you're doing and everything that's happening in your life is for and is to be for God. Well, Josh, what about when I go into a grocery store? That's right. If you go shopping tonight in Albertson's right over there, you think you're going to that store just to buy groceries? Open your ears. Open your eyes. The fields are ripe. Looks like somebody might need prayer in there. Huh? In the grocery store? I can't do that. Why not? You thought that homeless guy came up to you for money? No, you need to win him for the kingdom. You need to speak into his life. You thought you got into a car accident because you made a bad decision or because, say, some lady hit you from behind? No, it's so that you can minister and pray for that person. Show them Jesus. You've got to change your perspective. That sounds like a Jesus freak. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, but yeah, but that's not a Christian. Um, actually, it is. And everyone else in the world who said being a Christian is being raised in a Christian family or goes to church every once in a while, that's a Christian or that's the, the religion you've just chosen because of choice. It's like, this is not Christianity. Christianity is giving up your lifestyle and your life to live for God. That sounds like a priest. Again, this is real Christianity. This is Christianity, giving up all that you are and all that you have. And so, you know what my life is? I'll tell you right now. Today, everything that I do for the rest of my life, I'm trying to look through the lens, look through the goggles of how I can build God's temple here on this earth. Everything. If somebody likes the clothes and the style, the stuff that I even wear, I'm going to use it to manipulate. I used to do it in the high schools all the time. When I used to go and minister, all the kids used to think I was cool because they dressed cool or because I acted cool and stuff. Guess what? I'm going to manipulate them and brainwash and change their minds to be towards Jesus Christ and Him alone. I'm going to work them over for the kingdom as best I can. Josh, I can't believe you. Oh, you better believe it. I'm going to win him for the kingdom of God. I'm going to use all that I am to bless him and glorify him. You can. You can even do it in the gym. Did you know that? Remember, me and Jeremy used to do it all the time. We'd walk in with these crazy shirts on, man. They were loud and obnoxious. Say, like, no sex, wait for marriage. I mean, blow people's faces off, you know, especially in the gym. They'd be like, what? (laughs) Yeah, we'd be pumping, just pumping iron. We used to be, I I used to be really, I used to. Okay, leave me alone, all right? Settle down, all right? <laughs> no, I used to it. We used to pump iron like five, six days a week, man. We just love the gym, and you take all the supplements and just uh, muscle head, you know. And uh, but we would go in there, you know. We'd rep these shirts and just—I mean, we would just try to minister to people in the gym everywhere that we could. We'd use it all the time. People just were appalled, you know, by the things that we wore. We didn't care. Uh, we just went for it. And um, don't do that. Don't do that kind of stuff. 
you don't have to wear those kind of shirts, but we did. We were we had another one. This is just for for laughs, okay? It said it said PMS huge on it with a big wait wait listen listen stay, stay with me with a big line through it like this, and people look at us like you terrible. I can't believe you. No, but if you read lo- closely, it says premarital sex under it. <laughs> we would get them, you know, because they'd walk up and be like, "What are they doing wearing this?" You know, like, "What's wrong with these you know, chauvinist pigs?" You know, like. They'd walk up and they see it, and then they'd be embarrassed, you know, and they'd walk away like, oh, my gosh. It's great. And, um, but we did it, man. For the sake of the kingdom, we were freaks, okay? Really were. I used to wear this jacket that had, it just had the big Jesus Christ on the back with a giant cross. Dickie's jacket. I used to wear it in high school. Just walk around wearing that thing. People would yell the name of Jesus in in the halls, and I would... That's what they called me, the Jesus guy, you know, and I just walked around and I would try to pour into people everywhere that I went. I carried my Bible. This is my senior year only. I was vice president of my school and um, I, I would try and minister. I was just still a goof up and a fool on so many levels, but I was just a freak, you know. I, I didn't know what else. All I know is I wanted to further God's kingdom. But then something got under my skin a little bit later. Something, I think the media... Um, just the people around me, I started looking at life and saying, what do I do in life for me? I got to start getting my life ready and I got to start doing all these things for me because it's all about me. So I started thinking about how I was going to make lots of money, build a business and um, gain a bunch of money so that I can be wealthy and everybody look at me and think I'm successful and my family will be proud of me and um, I can my, my family will be established. I'll never have to worry about those kind of things and um, and I'll just get to live my life and do my thing. And of course, I'll, I'll still serve in the church and hang out over there. And, and because I love God, and I want to be a part of that. But man, I got these plans and goals for my life that I'm going to seek and pursue. And this is going to be my life and my house is going to be built after 60 years. My house will be built. It's going to be a big one. Until I just got kicked in the mouth one day. I don't know what happened. But I recognize... Who cares if I build a big house for me here on this earth and I've done nothing to build the house of God. When I step into heaven and I'm there forever and ever, I think back, what was I thinking? Spending all of that time on me. Spending all of this so I could glorify myself and bring myself pleasure. Oh God, let me forsake it all for your sake. And that's been my change of perspective, my change of mind. I'm not here to build my kingdom anymore. I don't care if I'm successful. I don't care if I have a lot of money. I don't care anymore. The one thing that I care about is making sure that Jesus' name is lifted up, that his flag is planted in every single city, that all people bow to his name and celebrate his goodness and his mercy. And when that flag is raised up, I don't want people to mock it. I want them to say, that is the greatest king forever. And you know what? I, I don't choose to serve him and walk with him, but man, he is a great king. And you know what? Uh, that they would know the goodness and the grace of God. They would know his love because that's what Christians portray. Um, if they don't want to seek God, hey, they're going to stand before him and I'll preach judgment to him. But man, we've misrepresented God. I mean, it is so sad in this day. And so God is saying, you need to start building my house. And that's what he's saying to them through Haggai. He says, go up into the mountain, verse 8, and bring wood and build the house of the Lord. What do you need to do? What do you need to do to start building the house of the Lord? Where's your wood at? Where is it? Where is it hiding? 
What is your wood? What's what? What is it? Time? Is it money? Is it efforts in the church? Is it sacrifice of something? What is it? What is God going to look at you at? What is God going to look at you and say when you get to heaven? Say, man, you spent so much time on this. And it was all for you. Had nothing to do with me. What's your wood? What are you bringing up to the mountain to start building the house of God? Look at verse 9. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord? Because of mine house that is waste. And you run every man into his own house. He's like, you look for much, you go to find a lot of stuff for you, and God himself says he blows it away. Isn't that funny? Maybe not hilarious, but it's funny. It's kind of like the guy trying to grab that dollar bill on the sidewalk. You know what I'm talking about? $100 bill there? He's like, oh, I'm gonna, I want that $100 bill, you know, so I can do this and this and this. Isn't it funny when money's coming to you, you spend it before you even get it, huh? You have all these things planned out of what you're going to buy for you and what you're going to do with it. God says, you see that $100 bill on the sidewalk and he himself blows it away. He blows it away from you because you desire it for yourself. I've seen God do it in my life and I've seen it do it in other people's lives many times over. They try so hard to gain something. I mean, it's like if anybody's going to get it, it's going to be them. There's a band that I know really well. Um, I won't mention their name because I don't want to embarrass them. But <sighs> these guys, man, they're just some of the most talented musicians I've ever seen. They have the look. They have everything that they need in order to make it big in the music industry. I mean everything. They got everything. And they they are Christians, but they choose to try to survive in the world and make it in the world by being like the world and doing the things and I see God just blowing their contract away every single time, just blowing it, blowing it a little bit further, blowing it. Like, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it. I'm not going to let you get it until you submit your heart to me. A lot of you are chasing something. You think you're going to get it, you're not. I remember my buddy told me, Josh, you will never be successful at anything but ministry, so don't try anything else. After I've worked 17 jobs, and I'm pretty good at most of them, I do all right. God's only calling me to one thing. I got to do what I'm called to. Yep, I'm never going to have a big house. I'm not going to have a big boat. I'm not going. This is not going to happen for me. Bomber. I like Kenny Popwell's idea who is very wealthy and who has bought multiple houses. But you know what they're for? They're for guys for guys who need to go into drug rehab. He puts them in the house and puts strict rules and regulations on them so they can't get away. No messing around. He buys that million-dollar boat or half-million-dollar boat. You want to know why? So he can spend $2,000 in gas alone just to take a bunch of brothers out on there and let them go fishing catch stuff just blows money on the brothers so they can have fellowship and sweet times together and doesn't charge anybody anything he spends it on the kingdom i asked him i said kenny you gonna have this boat for a long time he's like you know the day i stop doing ministry in it is the day that i sell this thing 
so I don't need this. That is building for the kingdom of God. It's giving up your life. If you choose to build for yourself, family, you who are Christians, God will blow it away from you. Or he might even give some of it to you, but then blow something else away from you. He'll give it to you, you'll be unsatisfied, and he'll just blow some more away. Careful! Look at verse 10. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from fruit. Wow! And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. I wonder what we would do as a nation if God just said it's not going to rain anymore for like 50 years. I wonder what we'd do. Shut down our society real quick, huh? What if the wind blew and just knocked over all the big buildings? What if a typhoon just hit Southern California just wiped everything out? God controls everything. He controls the rain. He even says, I'll stop it from raining. And you won't have anything. Because you build your house first. This nation is supposed to be a Christian nation. This nation is supposed to be one that seeks God. But we are not coming anywhere close to that. To be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I think I see our nation within the next 20 years, maybe 30 years, just completely falling and collapsing. Um, I do. I, I look at my family and I think, Lord, what's going to happen? You know, like, it's not going to be a prosperous time for me and my family. And, um, and the Lord says to me, I will take care of you. You're my people. I take care of my people. You will never go hungry. You will never go without what you need. Uh, but I see a nation as a whole that forsakes God more and more. We're heading towards post, uh, post-Christianity, a post-Christian nation who forsakes the living God like England. Um, some of the greatest preachers the world has ever known came out of that place, Europe. And now they're gone. And some of the greatest preachers the world has ever known are in America right now today, and no one's listening to them. Very few choose to lay down their lives to seek God. Everyone else, man, about the American dream. Got to make my money. Got to do my thing. Don't do it. I warn you, don't do it. It's not worth it. God will shut up the heavens in your life. You will have nothing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel. Oh, great. The son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of uh, Josedek. The high priests, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the word of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of, you know who, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of, yeah, that guy, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twenty-sixth day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So guess what? 
they started working. Isn't that great? They started building the temple. Hey, Haggai stood up and proclaimed the truth, and they started working. Man, I hope that happens tonight. I genuinely hope that that happens tonight in your life. Is God speaking to you? If God's speaking to you, man, move in the right direction. Start building His house today. What are you called to? I think there's only two options. You're either going to be working in the church. No, there's three options. You're going to be working in the church, making money, serving the people of God. That is going to be your job. Or you're going to be in the world making money, ministering to the people out there, winning people for the kingdom, taking territory wherever you work, or you're going to be serving in your family, ministering and building up. That There is no other option. And all of those include walking around, serving God all day, every day, wherever you go. Just your full-time job is building the kingdom of God. Look at chapter 2. And this just talks about the great things. In the seventh month, in the one and twenty-one day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of him, governor of Judah, to the Joshua, the son of that guy, the high priest, and to the uh, residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in their first glory? And how does you see it now? Is it not in your own eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of that guy, the high priest. And be strong, O ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I shall shake. Look at this. Look what God's going to do. He says, yet a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater then the former saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Mentioned a lot of times in that passage. God says my temple is going to be built and all the goods are going to come. And the way it's going to happen is I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I mean, God could shake the heavens and the earth like a guy takes a blanket and just shakes it off. You know, you could just do that, right? The heavens and the earth, he just picks it up and just starts shaking it. The people tremble, but they know something within their own hearts. It's amazing how God can do what he can do when he wants to do it. He says they will be so shaken, they'll be so terrified, they'll be so struck to the heart that they will all come and bring the silver and gold into this place. The glory will be here in this place, and my temple will be built in great splendor. Interesting. Look at verse 10. In the fourth and twenty-ninth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying again, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh, 
If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do not touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. The picture is this. If a man is carrying a sacrifice in his arms and it touches something, um, will it be unclean? And he says, No. It would be perfectly fine even though there's a sacrifice uh, that's supposed to take place. And then he says, if someone, is, um, if, someone has, if someone touches a dead body and then anything else they touch will be unclean, he says, yes, it shall be unclean, absolutely. The picture here, what God is trying to say is that in doing the work of the Lord and doing what they're supposed to be doing, because they've done it the wrong way, it has taken them 60 years to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. And in three months, they have brought to establishment great things. It actually took five years to establish this temple. But because they're doing work backwards, because they're not listening to the voice of the Lord, nothing has been happening for the past 60 years. And so he says, Haggai, so this is the people and this is the nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands that which they offer where is unclean. And now I pray to you, consider from this day and upward, from before, before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat or to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with the blasting and with the mildew, and with hail and your laborers out of your hands, yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this a day upward, from the four and twenty-ninth day of the month, even from the day that the, Lord, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. He calls them out again, an exhortation to repentance. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yet as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree has not brought forth from this day, will I bless you? He says, you haven't even done anything and I'm going to bless you for it anyways. The seed's still in the barn. You can throw it out in the field, but you don't do it. Isn't that amazing? Do you, how many times has God blessed you and you have done nothing for it? You want to know the biggest blessing that you've received for free? Salvation. Yep, you get to go to heaven for free. Have you done anything to get to heaven? Anything? Is there anything good enough? Like you, you, any, anyone? Anyone? You think you deserve heaven? Anyone in here? People say that sometimes, huh? I'm a good person. I think I'll go to heaven. Really? You're that good? Dang, man. That's pretty good, man. You're that good? Not me. Carl Salesman told me, I'm pretty good. I'll go to heaven. I'm like, not me, dude. I'm a wretch. I'm a wicked man. God saved me, man. He's just kind of making my life better a little bit as I go. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you just because I'm going to bless you. Because I love you and I'm gracious. I love that about God. 
He's done that for me so many times. Let's close up the chapter. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai, the fourth and twenty day of the month, saying, Speak unto Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the kingdoms, the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots of those that ride in them. And the horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet ring. Oh, I love that. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, my boy, I'm going to strike down all of the nations, all the wicked. You're going to be my signet ring. Isn't that great? I love that picture, man. I like thinking that. My like, God, can I be your signet ring? would love to be the signet ring of God. Everywhere that I go, man, he just stamps things. Everywhere that I go, everywhere that I walk and talk and move, it would be sealed with the things of God. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. Did you know that? The prayer of a righteous, just one, one righteous man can do many things on. Just one. Just one. I would love to be that ring. I would love to be that example. And I would love to walk in that all the days of my life. Listen to me. So many powerful people here in this room who love God. I know you. I'm telling you, if you would simply be that ring on God's finger and you would allow him to stamp all the things in your life, your workplace and your school and your family members, just stamping everyone with the seal of God, if you would just simply allow him to use you, great things would happen. And you know what? You should let him, shouldn't you? Why, Josh? Because he's just blessed you for random reasons. He's given you heaven. Who knows why? You don't deserve it. You're a wretch. You do nothing but wrong all the days of your life. He gives you heaven and then you keep doing wrong. I know you're trying not to. The fact of the matter is you still do. It's so difficult, huh? I mean, even a, a business owner like looks in the face of his employee and says, look, I'm paying you more money. You're taking on these responsibilities. Don't mess up. Right? And then you mess up. But you can only mess up a couple times and they fire you. You're out of here. Not God. He keeps blessing you. He keeps you on staff. He keeps moving you in the direction of grace and mercy. The least we can do is be the hands and feet of God to this world. God's calling you to stop building your temple today, to stop building your house. Put down your, put down your hammer. Get that nail out of your hand. 
put that aside. You grab the tools of God and start building His kingdom. You grab your sword. You grab your word. You grab this thing called love. You start using it to minister to people. You serve in the church and bless God's people. When you go into Stater Brothers, keep yours open. God might want to do something, huh? Right? No, not with me. Okay. And you go in there to get groceries for you and do your thing. You never know. God might be speaking and wanting to use you. He's calling this generation to stop building the American dream. He's calling this generation to start building the dreams of God. The things that he wants and the things that he desires on this earth. Oh God, bring heaven down to this earth, we pray. Not my will, but yours be done. No more my will. I'm sick of my will. I'm sick and tired of my will, my desires. I just, I mess everything up. So Father, we love you, Lord. And uh, Lord, we see the judgment of Zephaniah. And we are scared. We are terrified of you. We fear our God. For we know that you could take us out. We know that you could stop everything in our lives. We know that you can send plague. You could send whatever you want. You can cause destruction in any of your peoples. You could send us into slavery. You sent the Jews into slavery many times. We are your people and we love you, God. And we fear you tonight. We recognize that we need to stop building our own houses, building our own dreams and goals. It's not a sin to have those desires and to want to have fun and do cool stuff. But Lord, we know we must have you as first priority. And then we can go do those other things. We've got to build your house first. Then we can build our house. You didn't ever say we couldn't build a house. You just said my house first. And so Lord, we come building. We come with hands ready. Lord, give us the tools. Give us the things we need to minister in our workplace, to minister to our family members, to minister to our friends, to minister in Albertsons, Lord. Give us what we need. Give us wisdom on how we might serve your kingdom and spread it all over the world. We give you our lives. We give you all that we are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. I want the best for you. I really do. I love this life. I'll live it another 120 years. No problem, man. Hands down. As long as I got Jesus, piece of cake. But man, without Jesus, not a chance. Kill me now. I don't want to live another day. But if I have my God, I'll walk with Him. 300 years, I'd love to do that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Would you allow his face to shine upon you this week? Receive his grace. Receive his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I'll see you next week.